I'm answering your five questions in today's show. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of How to Be a Great GM. My name is Guy, and I am answering your five questions that you posted up on Discord. You didn't only post up five questions, there were many more questions, but I was just looking at the five that kind of caught my attention in the last month or so. If you don't know what I'm talking about, join our Discord, discord.gg forward slash greatgm. It's free to join and there are thousands of people there in a whole bunch of different channels. There's channels for game design, there's channels for finding players, there's channels for just chewing the fat about random stuff or about role playing. Anyway. Let's get on with it. The five questions. Now, these are no particular order, and I didn't choose them for any particular reason other than they were slightly interesting. And I thought, let's talk about them. My one player wants to skip my next session because it's a combat session and the player's build is a social build. What to do? I have no idea what the voice of the person who wrote that question was, and I apologize if you found that insulting, but I just wanted to make it slightly different, slightly fun, slightly something to do with, well, with the, perhaps the attitude of the player. So you have a player who says, oh, yeah, the next session looks like it's going to be a big combat. Yeah, I'm going to skip it. I'm going to come back the week after. What? 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 You know what? You know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. Next week's going to be a combat. And the one after that's also going to be a combat. And the one after that's going to be a combat. So why don't you just leave? The notion that a player is going to skip a session because they think that it's going to be a combat session and they're not being included because they didn't build a combat character, they only built a social character, I have to say is absolutely and utterly disgusting. The player should be encouraged, and this is the only ray of light to come out of this question, by the way, is as the GM, you should go to the player and say, look, I understand that you've got a social build, but this game is about combat and social. So if you cannot find a way for your character to contribute during the combat, it could literally just be pointing out bad guys to your fellow allies, handing them extra weaponry, distracting the enemy with a funny dance or a comic song, or by talking to them, which supposedly is what your character capable of doing if you cannot find some small iota in which way you can contribute to the team then perhaps you should not be in the team to begin with go join a party of player characters who don't have any combat and there are many games like that and they are a lot of fun by the way even though i don't like you as a player they will so go join them. Skip a session because my... Well, well, then why don't the warriors all go, oh, yeah, no, the next one's going to be talky-talky. You just go in on your own and we'll skip and we'll come back in a week's time because we can't do anything. No, no, that's not how the game works. It's called a team team, team game. game. Okay, okay. You, you play as a team. team. You, you don't, don't just leave, leave the team, team when you think the team's going to be boring. <sighs> I love questions from Discord. I really do. Question number two. I have a player who defied my species restrictions for my game. I said no undead, and they insisted on playing undead. Furthermore, they antagonize every NPC, attack randomly, and then justify their actions. They miss sessions as well. What do? <laughs> the Discord folk who answered this question were far, far kinder than I was. What do? Out! Out! You useless! I mean, I'm sorry, folks, but 
if they are going to ignore what the GM is saying, if they are just going to be disruptive and they miss sessions, what the? What are they doing at the table in the first place? And what are the rest of the players doing putting up with that sort of nonsense? As a GM, you should be consulting with your players what kind of game they want to play before you start playing. So in the case of the players saying, I really want to play undead, and you going, no, you're not allowed to play undead, and then them arriving with an undead character. That is immediately, immediately where the break should have been applied. Firstly, as the GM, why didn't you want any undead? Okay, and the, the person did actually explain why they didn't want any undead. It was a perfectly valid and logical reason. The game was basically Van Helsing, so you were hunting undead, so having an undead around was going to be majorly problematic. But the player, the moment they arrived at the table with an undead, you simply should have said no, roll up a new character, or you don't get to play in the game. To let it continue, well, that was the mistake. And the mistake to make them, or to allow them to miss multiple sessions and then still come back, mistake after mistake after mistake. And I'm sorry, I don't care what your personal issues are that are causing you to want to be this kind of bad player or to miss these kinds of sessions. You miss sessions, that's Fine, you miss one session, sure. Two sessions, hmm. Three sessions, you know what, why don't you join a different group that play on an ad hoc basis where your schedule, which clearly you have no control over, will allow you to play with them without disrupting everybody else around the table. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Am I an old man? Because I kind of feel like I'm an old man sometimes. Let me know in the comments down below. I mean, we've only got through two questions and I already can feel that I'm sweating. My blood pressure's gone up and I just want to make sure that everyone is having a marvellously fun and happy time. Right, question number three. Let's see if it's any nicer. Spoiler, it isn't. I'm running a horror campaign. Now, I realize it should feel different from the classic three-act hero campaign. What do? I'm terribly sorry. Did you just say that you are running a horror campaign, and as a result, you shouldn't be using the three-act hero campaign? You shouldn't have an act one, an act two, or an act three? Um, no. No, you're wrong. You're so very, very wrong. Incredibly wrong. You couldn't be more wrong if you tried. As a matter of fact, the town of wrong, you're not allowed to go there. You don't qualify. You are that wrong. Folks, we only have the three-act structure. We don't have any other alternative. There is nothing out there that will work in a satisfying way for your players and for yourself. One act, two act, five acts, it ain't gonna cut the mustard. It's just not going to work. It's it's just, it's not gonna do it. You just can't, you, you, you cannot. And when you look at horror, all the genres, horror is the one that needs the three act structure so, so very much. Horror, act one, something's not right. The campers have discovered that one of the campers is missing, but they don't know where they've gone. It's weird, but it's not yet terrifyingly deadly. Except for the sudden surprise, which is a cat that mysteriously arrived and climbed into that cupboard. Nonetheless, act one is about setting up the horror. Act two is about the horror revealed, and now we have to run away from it. Ah, there's horror, horror, horror. 
That's all that Act 2 is, is the horror being so terrifically terrifying and evil and dark and malicious and wanting to destroy us that we have to run away from it. Run away, run away, brave Sir Robin, brave Sir Robin. Act 3 is where we go, wait a second! Either we stand and face the horror, or we will run from it forever. So horror is so critical and so dependent on a three-act structure that, to be quite frankly, if you tried to use anything else, it just wouldn't work. I'm not trying to debase or demean the person who asked this question, by the way. It's a perfectly valid question. Do we need to use a three-act structure? The correct and polite answer is yes. All right, yes, we do need to use it, and I've just explained why. Question number four. Is there a way to equate a linear correlation between how a bow's draw weight to the amount of kinetic energy the arrow carries that determines its flight distance, and how much energy it will transfer to the target in damage dice? And if so, what is the equation for that correlation? What? Um, um, what? You want to work out the correlation, or the, 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 the formula, for how much damage a bow is going to do to a target based on the draw strength. So how much power is in that bow in the in the in the bowstring? How much is how much is all that going to contribute to the impact of the uh, arrow itself? Well, we know there are different types of bows, compound bows, which increase the amount of uh, velocity of the arrow and the damage and the impact capabilities of the arrow. There are normal bows, there's short bows, there's long bows. We know all of this kind of stuff. The question is, if the role-playing system that you are using is based around accurate damage dealt to a standard body, then this question is relevant. But if your role-playing system is not based on some kind of slightly scientific backing, if it's just a case of, yeah, you've got some action points, you've got some hit points, you've got some life points, and a sword does five damage. That random decision by the game designer is because they thought swords were cool and swords should be like the standard for damage dealing. And then all of the other weapons were based off of, well, does it do more damage than a sword or less than damage than a sword? It becomes problematic though when you realize that it is entirely possible to kill a human being with a ballpoint pen. If you stick it into the right places within their body, and you'll kill them. FBI, so is a ballpoint pen doing more or less damage than a machete? And my own grandfather grew up in a very violent place where one of his workers came into his office with a machete buried in his forehead. The man was perfectly fine and alive, absolutely capable. Went to hospital, came back the next day, or two or three days later, and was carried on working. No damage whatsoever to a machete in the head. So. The problem that you have is not a question of is there a formula to calculate, etc., etc. That's a wonderful academic question to ask, and I myself have done it many times, going, well, what would a musket do in comparison to a bow or a this or a that? Again, the damage dealt is irrelevant because of the base nature of the role-playing system. If it hasn't looked at a standard human being and said, okay, well, a standard human being can suffer this much damage, which, to be perfectly frank, we've already established as a fairly arbitrary value, because you can fall out of an airplane and survive, you can fall down a flight of stairs and die, it becomes difficult to quantify, okay? 
So when you were asking these kinds of questions, there was a huge debate that opened up on the Discord. It, it, it got messy, I have to say. I think eventually the moderators had to step in and say, okay, folks, enough. These wonderful questions are great thought experiments, but they have to have the same amount of value to your life as a thought of, I need to buy milk this afternoon. Don't get precious about trying to find the true answer and then fight people when they are arguing with you about the true answer. You are talking about a system literally created by people going, oh, that's a cool one. Yeah, I think that's pretty, yeah, I've never used a mace before, but I think it probably does the same amount of damage as um, a spear. All right, don't get your knickers in a knot over something that really isn't worth getting your knickers in a knot about. Go for what is entertaining and what's fun, and then be consistent in application of that value. Question five. Yep, so is it possible to have a reverse urban fantasy setting? The wide world is full of um, fantasy, supernatural stuff, you know, unicorns, trolls, that sort of thing. But uh, in the middle, or hidden slightly, there's this perfectly mundane modern day world, this little space where the fantasy stops and real life just takes over. Is, can this exist? What do? Oh, what a wonderful idea. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the players with their plate mail and their magic staffs and all of their power? They're busy wandering around and they come across this minotaur. And the minotaur is wounded. And it says to them, no, 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 no harm, no harm. Help. Help take to hospital. Players are like, oh, what? Hospital? You mean a cleric? No. You mean an apothecary? No. You mean a healer? No. I mean physician with good medical coverage and dental care. What? And the players then take this minotaur through a bush, past tree number nine and a half, and they suddenly step into this modern day world. Their armor suddenly has huge amounts of weight, magic just disappears, and you hand out the characters. Right, well, you were playing a warrior, so here you are. You are now an accountant who does martial arts in the weekends and after hours. Uh, you were playing a mage. Yes. Well, here's your mage. Yeah. Yeah. Now you work in the creative media industry and you do special effects. The only caveat that I would have to this whole thing is that you should warn your players before you start this campaign that this campaign is going to be weird. It's going to be fun. It's going to be weird. It's going to be kind of... Harry Potter-esque, because that's exactly what Harry Potter did from the perspective of those living in Hogwarts anyway. But again, a vampire fleeing as a flock of bats suddenly bursts through the barrier and is now just a used car salesman who sucks the life, or at least the petrol, out of the vehicles that he's trying to sell and puts it into the next vehicle that he's going to sell. Just awesome. And, and I would love your input too. How would you handle this urban setting in a fantasy world, this little bubble of reality, uh, or normalcy, I should say. I think that could be just so much fun. So, so, so much fun. Now, my favorite author of all time, Terry Pratchett, he actually did that in, uh, I want to say The Color of Magic, but I think it might be the, the Light Fantastic. Either way, in his first two novels, he had his character suddenly appearing in, from a fantasy world, sitting on an aeroplane. Uh, flying somewhere and it was the surreal kind of moment thank you to you for watching all the way through to the end thank you to, uh, thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you to my wonderful wonderful patrons the kickstarter is going along and things are looking just amazing i mean just amazing so 
until next time, I wish you and yours the happiest, the happiest, I said the happiest of gaming.